Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. Sorry, we're starting just a smidgen or two late. It is a little after four. Sunday, January the 18th, 2009, and um, nothing particular to mention up front. Uh, I did put out two videos rebutting all this media nonsense and have received some very positive and insightful and thoughtful comments about that. So please, if you get a chance to blog or post those around, I would uh, appreciate it. Um, had two interview requests. Well, I had a number of interview requests, but the only two that were memorable was one from the Daily Mail, which I thought had, um, you know, <laughs> stones the size of what rolls down at Indiana Jones at the beginning of the first movie. Um, I thought that was enormously <laughs> that had some chutzpah, let's just say, to ask me to uh, uh, to talk to them. And the second was from uh, Cosmopolitan. They um, uh, wanted to know whether UPB could give you fuller uh, lips. So uh, we will find out about that. Of course, I said no uh, to both. Uh, so uh, nothing particular cooking other than that. Uh, Isabella is doing just beautifully. And thank you to everyone again who sent in some very nice gifts uh, and so on. Um, not sure the wood-burning set was hugely appropriate, but we certainly do appreciate the soldering. Uh, she's actually working on the suspension of the car at the moment. And uh, she's doing fantastically. She's gained, I guess, about a pound and a half. And uh, she has cheeks which could store a squirrel full of nuts for the winter. And uh, she's not doing that as yet, but we hope, because Daddy likes to snack. So that is all going just beautifully. She had her second visit to the doctor and uh, everything, third visit to the doctor, sorry. And everything is doing just beautifully. Please don't forget to mute if you are not talking. And uh, I guess last but not least, we hit over half a million media views last month. Oh, yes. It was a happy Christmas for philosophy, I must say. And that is uh, a 37% increase over November, and uh, more so in a way because December is usually kind of a dip month because, um, well, it's Christmas and, and so on. And, uh, of course, it should also be mentioned that it was a very high media view month, which was not driven by a lot of new podcasts because um, of the bundle of joy. You know, I got to say, just say by the by, I think that statistically and officially, Christina and I are the first parents in history who cry more than our baby. I think that, you know, don't you think that's true? I think that statistically, it is entirely true because we look at her and we weep with joy and she stares at us um, wondering why there is weather indoors, why there is snorting and dropping. So, <laughs> raindrops. So, uh, she's, uh, I mean, she's absolutely wonderful. Uh, she's had uh, one or two tough nights. Uh, which is, you know, maybe half an hour of, of crying. But uh, she cries very little. And uh, it's, uh, we're, we're very lucky. I mean, yeah, I think our parenting has something to do with it. But obviously, we got a baby with a very good temperament. And we're working with her to ensure that it stays that way. So uh, that's, uh, that's all wonderful. So it's been, it's been a good month. Uh, it's been an exciting month. But uh, overall, it is a, a huge net positive. Uh, I have a correction to make. Um, uh, one of the uh, listeners who is uh, far more knowledgeable than I am about biology, which is not that hard, uh, I've, I've put out to, uh, sub to, the, to the lovely subscribers, and thank you to those who signed up recently. I do appreciate it. Um, to the subscribers, I sent out a two-part, and there will be a third part to this, but a two-part introduction to the MECO system, the, uh, the theory and, and evolution, why we have it. And uh, I made uh, a, a statement that was inaccurate uh, in it. <laughs> Let's just say it's only one, uh, because it's the only one that I know of. Maybe there's more. 
um, uh, which is that I said that um, human beings uh, have are the only uh, only creatures that have the ability to switch back and forth between predator and prey status uh, within a lifetime without having to wait for the the turnover mutation of genetics. And the listener pointed out that there's um, certain kinds of gazelles that have taken to eating meat. Uh, there are uh, bats which alternate between. Uh, prey and predator uh, status, and so I just wanted to correct. It's not particularly substantial to the theory, but uh, it is an important fact to correct. So if and when those go out to the public, uh, just remember that uh, that part is full of uh, some, well, not full of, there are some tangential inaccuracies, which I think are important to note. So thank you so much for that correction. I really do appreciate it. And uh, anything else? I think that's it for the introduction. Um, everything's... Uh, uh, fine here, and uh, I hope everything is fine with you. So let's uh, turn the show over to the lovely, delightful, and apparently tasty when marinated listeners. So uh, it's uh, it's all yours, my pretties. Hello, Steph. Hello. Um, can you hear me? I sure can. Um, I was wondering um, if no one else has any questions, if we could do a dream analysis. Uh, that's certainly fine with me. Uh, it certainly beats the uh, crickets. I just muted so I could grab a snack because I am catastrophically disorganized for feeding. So please, a nice, long, tasty analysis is great. If you could put it in the chat window or send me an email or something just so I could, uh, just so I can follow along. And if you could send it to my Rogers account, that would be great. Um, Unless it's somewhere on the board or something, that would be great, too. Um, I sent it to your email a couple of days ago, actually, I think. I'm just using a different computer. If you could send it again, then I will grab it, if you don't mind, to forward it again. And I will uh, make sure that I can refer to it when, you're, uh, when we're talking about it. Right. I'll post it in the chat. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Would you like to uh, read that? Oh, you want me to read it out? Okay. Um, Uh, in the dream, I am walking down a street at night. I come across a pet store that's still open. I go inside to look at the tropical fish, but down the back of the store there are also cages full of birds. One bird is on the outside of the cage, which is a recurring theme in my dreams. It hops into my hand. It's a pale blue budgery girl with albino eyes. Um, unusual colors is also a recurring theme. I walk around with it for a while and it doesn't fly away. I want to take it, but I don't trust that it won't fly when I leave the store, so I put it in a little cage. Then I bolt out the door and run down the street. Somehow the pet store owners don't notice that I'm running. I remember waiting to cross the road. Another recurring theme in my dreams, but I don't remember anything after that. Okay, and uh, what uh, the usual questions, what uh, happened before the day before or the evening of this uh, dream? Um, I don't, I don't think anything really happened. Um, I have had, um, uh, Katie issues kind of resurface lately. So I don't know if it has anything to do with that. But that that's the only thing of significance really that's been happening for me. Okay, let's, um... Let's start to this um, 
So a pet store, um, you know, one of the things that I recall, which was a, uh, a challenge for you within the, I guess, FDR community was um, pet issues, particularly to do with your father. Remember when Tom was talking about his uh, issues, uh, you were, uh, this was a, a, a conflict, I guess, that, that you and I had or whatever that, that I thought was not uh, positive when you were talking about pets to do with your father. Does, does that ring a bell for you? Um, yeah. And do you have any pets um, at the moment? Uh, yeah, I have a pet mouse. That's all. And, uh, okay, so a pet store that's still open. I go inside, you say, to look at the tropical fish. And do you know why in the dream you were going to look at the fish? Um, I used to own a lot of aquariums when I was still living at my parents' place. Okay, and why were you going to look? Is it because you wanted to buy them? Is it because you just wanted to, were you sort of oh. window shopping, so to speak, or? Um, yeah, I think I was just window shopping. Okay, down at the back of the store, there are also cages full of birds. One bird is on the outside of the cage. It hops. So, because so, I, I had a budgie when I was in my, I guess, late teens, early 20s. And uh, the, when they're out of the cage, uh, they will cling to the bars on the outside. Is, is that right? Is that sort of what it looked like? Right, yeah. Yeah. It hops, uh, and, and you reach out your hand, and it hops onto your, your hand, right? Yeah. It's a pale blue budgerigar with albino eyes. I walk around with it for a while, and it doesn't fly away. I want to take it, but I don't trust that it won't fly away when I leave the store, so I put it in a little cage. Then I bolt out the door and run down the street. Somehow the pet store owners take no notice that I'm running. And do you know why you don't feel that you can buy the bird, but you feel that because you you kind of shoplift in this in this sense, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't remember um, really thinking about buying it in the dream. I just took it seemingly for no reason. Okay, and um, but but at the same time, it's not shoplifting because, as you say, the pet store owners don't sort of say, "Hey, where are you going with our white-eyed blue bird?" Right? Right. Yeah. And what are your uh, feelings when you look? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, you think they'd notice that I'm running from the store? Right. No, that makes sense. But I think it's also true that they're not taking very good care of the bird as it is, right? I mean, people come in and out of pet stores all the time, so the door is open. So if a bird is outside its cage, it's it's almost like they don't want the bird, so to speak, because no pet store owner with a really valuable bird or even a partially valuable bird would leave it outside the cage with people coming and going during business hours, right? Right, yeah. So it's almost like a rescue of something that is not wanted by someone else, if that makes sense. Right. And what do you uh, feel or think when you look at the uh, the bird, the Badrigar? Um, In the store, I mean, before you leave. I just remember thinking about how unusual it was, like the colors of it. Yeah, it, that, that can't be true. It can't be true that that's all you think and feel uh, because you, you take a risk to, 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 you must feel something positive towards the bird other than what an interesting color, right? Yeah. 
Right. I can't really think of anything more. Does that mean you can't uh, remember what you felt in the dream about the bird? I think so, yeah. Now you realize you you asked me to do a dream and now you're not cooperating at all, right? I don't mean this in terms of criticism. I'm just I'm just pointing it out, right? Right. Right, because you're I'm saying, really well, I don't know what I feel and I, I think and this like you're you're kind of fogging out on me while talking about this dream, which is totally fine, right? I just want you to notice that I'm noticing it, right? Right. And you have fogged out in particular when I'm talking, when I ask you what you feel about the bird. I mean, I think it's obvious right. to everyone else what you feel about the bird, but it's something that either you're not connecting with or don't want to share. Well, I think I'm not connecting with it because this is a very recurrent theme in my dreams. These um, unusual birds. So I think that's why it's repeating over and over because I'm not connecting with it. Okay, well, let's uh, let's look at it now. When you think about the, you know, if you sort of close your eyes and picture the bird in your mind, this pale blue budgerigar with the albino eyes um, hanging on the outside of a cage and not being cared for by the store, being protected or, or kept secure by the pet store owners, uh, what do you feel about the bird? I feel like I have to protect it. And uh, uh, both why and from what? I'm not sure from what, but it's um, it's very small. Um, it's unusually small. So it's probably very young, like a baby or something. But, yeah, it's outside of its cage, so no one else is taking care of it. Right. Now, how long has it been? How long has it been since you, um, since you uh, dropped your unusual colors? You mean the hair dye and stuff? Yes. Um, a couple months. And uh, do you remember when these dreams? You said it's a recurring dream. Do you remember when these dreams began for you? Just before I came back to FDR, I think. Like a week before I started coming back to FDR. Right, okay. And uh, it was uh, within a month or so, if I remember rightly, after you came back to FDR that you had this encounter with this sort of creepy guy. Uh, if, he, if he'd have a mohawk or something like that, and uh, I think I or someone pointed out that you were um, kind of wearing trauma on your on your outside person with with lots of um, uh, piercings and and hair dye and so on. Is that is that the right time frame, or am I way off? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right, so uh, we'll see if that shows. I mean, I, I think that that has something to do with it, but nothing particularly clear at the moment. So let's um, let's work with the matter. I mean, I have a theory, but I don't. None of this, of course, may be true. But um, when we look at the, there's an interesting thing around 
the cage uh, metaphor here. Because if you're clinging, clinging to the outside of a cage in a pet store, you're not exactly free, right? Right. I mean, clinging to the outside of the cage is not the same as not being caged, right? In fact, you actually have less mobility when you're clinging to the outside of a cage than when you're inside the cage, right? Right, that's true. Because you can't even sort of fly around a little bit or, you know, do whatever, right? So if you're clinging to the outside of a cage, then you actually have less freedom than when you're inside the cage. And I think psychologically, and again, this is all nonsense theory, right? But we'll see if it fits. Psychologically, we generally experience a diminishment of freedom when we start to get out of the cages of our history, right? We go through a period of kind of <clears throat> paranoia and, and a feeling of constriction and a feeling of self-doubt. You know, when we, be when we begin to step out of our old habits, we feel like we're stepping out onto a ledge. Where, so it's almost like when we go from the inside of a cage to, to the outside of a cage, we actually, we're more free, but we, we feel like we have less freedom when we first to begin to challenge our dysfunctional habits. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Okay, and um, the bird likes you, and you like the bird, right? Yeah. So that, to me, would indicate that the bird is part of you, part of your personality. Oh, I see. What, what part of my personality would it be? Uh, I mean, I could just tell you what I think it is. And again, this is all just a nonsense theory, but, but I can tell you what I think it is. Okay. I think it is um, happiness. I don't know why, but I got a really weird feeling when you said that. Well, um, that's either because it's pretty right or completely wrong. So why don't we have a look at the feeling that you had and we'll see if it, uh, you know, because it's nice to have those two options, right? I'm right or I'm wrong. Uh, or it's completely, well, it's not going to be completely in t tangential. But what was the feeling that you got when I said what I, uh, what I said about uh, that the bird is, is, is happiness? Um, just kind of an upwelling of sadness and happiness at the same time. Go on. Um, I don't know. I started crying a little bit. I'm not sure how to explain it, but um, it was intense. Uh, do you want to try uh, telling me like where it where it occurred in your body? Uh, where, where it, uh, it, it is it still there? Did it come and go? Just if you can, just describe a little bit more. Um, in my stomach and chest, I think. Like it was kind of a rising feeling. Yeah, like, like Greg is saying, you can't tell it's happiness or sadness. Right, so it's not exactly an unpleasant feeling, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. 
And I think I understand the feeling. Uh, and I think when we, when we accept and embrace our inner life and the ambivalence and the richness of our emotional state, what, what, what I believe that kind of mildly ambivalent but not unpleasant feeling, to me that's what I would call a rich emotion in that it has complexity, layers, and depth. Right, that's what it felt like. And a rich emotion is one of the rewards of self-knowledge, right? Because your primitive personalities don't feel rich emotions because they can't handle ambivalence. It's got to be this, it's black or white. It's got to be this or it's got to be this, right? I love you or I hate you, right? right. So when we begin to develop our own emotional sensitivity and uh, self-regard and uh, self-knowledge, one of the rewards we get is the ability to handle complexity and depth, which gives us access to the extraordinary wealth of knowledge and wisdom that is available in the rich emotional tool set, if that makes any, any sense at all. Right. And I think um, the last time that you and I talked, which was a Sunday show or two ago, um, actually, I think it was last, maybe, I, I was saying that um, you, you, you can completely enjoy this uh, stress-free time in your life, right? Yes, last Sunday. Right. And I know that this dream occurred beforehand, uh, before this conversation, I mean, these recurring kind of dreams. But I think what's interesting is that when you get to a safe and secure place, nobody is trying to take away your happiness, right? Right? You, you, you find yourself attracted to this bird that's obviously not being cared for by others. And, and that's sort of a metaphor, which is that your happiness is your responsibility. In my, you know, again, this is all just mythology time, but we'll see if it fits. That other people, they're not taking care of your happiness, right? This pet owners, the pet store owners are not taking care of this bird. Right. But when you become free uh, of, uh, of destructive or abusive people, then yeah, other people are not going to be particularly obsessed with your happiness or even particularly interested. I mean, I don't mean ever, right? Christina and I are interested in each other's happiness, but that came about because we weren't expecting the other person to fix our lives or whatever, right? And the, but the interesting right, thing yeah. is that people aren't that interested in you, but at the same time, they actually don't prevent you from taking your happiness, so to speak, right? Right, that's true. Right, it's the glorious indifference of, actu of self-actualization, right? And when we're around dysfunctional people, they get obsessed with us, they want to control us, they're all, you know, they're all up in our business, <laughs> so to speak, right? They've got their, uh, their hands uh, deep in our pies, so to speak, and they are uh, very, very obsessed and concerned with the things that we say and we do. And you sort of think of those uh, junior high school gossip girl scenarios. It's like, oh, and then she said this, and then she did that, and then she's all like this, and then I'm all like that. Everybody's obsessed with each other's business, right? Right. But when we get those kind of compulsive and obsessive busybodies out of our lives then we actually can exist in a state of glorious indifference, of the, the glorious indifference of others, right? And that's... Right, that's interesting, actually. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, please, it's, it's your dream. Uh, you, should, you should talk away. 
Oh, I was just thinking about like, um, like at my art classes and stuff, um, it's full of uh, really dysfunctional people, but and we get, I get along with these people, but they don't seem to want to get to know me at a deeper level. Like, they're nice to me and stuff, but I don't get invited in or anything. I don't, I don't particularly care, but I just thought it was really interesting. I was wondering if that's, if that's what you mean by um, indifference. I, I think so. And I mean, indifference sounds like a weird state to, to recommend, but it is actually a pretty good place to start. Right, because if we desperately need other people for validation, for happiness, for justification, for as as prey or as predators, or to recreate some past drama or an assignment the box away or whatever, if we desperately need other people, obviously that's not going to uh, that's not going to make us happy, and it's not going to make them happy, right? Right. And so I think that this the glorious indifference is a great place to start, right? Right. Because it's it's open, right? It's like, hey, I'm not hostile, I'm not needy, uh, I am, uh, you know, positive and friendly, as I think is always a good place to start in life. But uh, I don't need uh, you. And uh, if I and and of course, if you don't approach other people with neediness, then needy people won't want to have anything to do with you because they know fundamentally that they don't have anything to offer you, right? Right. Yeah. So once dysfunctional people become uninterested in us, uh, <laughs> that's a good thing, I think. That's a big step forward. Right, yeah. And that's kind of the indifference of the pet store owners, so to speak. Again, this is all <laughs> total metaphor, but, you know, I think it, it, makes, it makes some sense, right? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, now, the fact that the budgie, the budgerigar looks very different from all other budgery guys, to me, this would be a symbol of individuation, right? Because right, yeah. if, you, if you were, I don't know, if there was a big <laughs> vat of gray rabbits, then <laughs> they were all the same and you just grabbed one randomly, that would be certainly capable, of, I mean, your unconscious would certainly be capable of creating and, and inflicting that image on you and what it would say is you're not differentiated as a personality yet. But the fact that you have the one bird that's outside the cage that has very different plumage means that the uh, that is a symbol of, of individuation that that you're not the same as everyone else, which is I think a good a good thing, right? Right. And when you become individuated, the pet store owners don't care about caging you anymore. In fact, they don't even right. care if you're there or not because they have no use for you once you become who you are. In other words, those who create beings for the service and amusement of others, which is pets, right? Again, I don't, I'm nothing against pets. I'm just sort of using it as a metaphor. They, they, don't, they don't even care to lock you up. You can come and go. You're not, in, you're not a pet anymore, right? Because you're individuated and therefore you don't fit into the hierarchy of dysfunctional needs, right, of others. Yeah. I'm just thinking, so why would I put it in an even smaller cage then? I'm sorry, say again? Um, I'm just thinking, why would I put the bird in an even smaller cage to take it away? 
sorry, why, I just said why you don't or do put the bear or the bird in a smaller cage? Um, why do I put the a smaller cage to take it away? Well, because you're running, right? I mean, you want the bird in a small cage when you're running, I think, don't you? Because if it's in a big cage and it loses yeah. its grip on its perch, it's going to bounce around and get hurt, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you, you were in the dream, and this is just, just the way I'm picturing it, right? Right. And you're running as if and, – and the running, of course, is because you fear uh, punishment and so on, right? Yeah. But there is no punishment in this dream, right? Right. And that's interesting, right? That when you become individuated or when you, and you're certainly, I mean, to my, you know, nonsense, long distance opinion, you're definitely working very hard on that and have made amazing progress over the last six months or more. Um, I mean, the, the great thing about being individuated is that you kind of rise above the petty punishments of the social hierarchy because you have standards and principles that don't rely on the approval or disapproval of others, right? Right, yeah. I mean, so to, to take a, I guess, maybe not so minor example, right? This, um, this media stuff that was going on, with, that has been going on and will continue to go on about FDR and all the cult stuff and all that. I mean, the reason why it doesn't work fundamentally and why the show is going strong and why I'm, you know, completely firm in everything that I did and would do it all over again, but stronger <laughs> if I had the opportunity, uh, is that for the people, the people who use the media to attack FDR or to attack me, all they're doing is they're saying that the negative opinions of other people are the worst thing in the world, right? Right. And therefore, what I am doing to you is the worst punishment that could ever happen to me. Right, if, I, cause if I'm telling millions of people, right, and I think the Daily Mail circulation, like three million people, right? If, if I were to tell millions of people Sorry, if someone were to tell millions of people that I was a bad and destructive person, that is the worst punishment that I could ever imagine, right? Right. Because I'm very susceptible to uh, social criticism. So it's, it's, you know, room 101 in, in 1984. It's like the worst thing in the world. The punishment that people inflict on you is all merely a confession that that is the worst punishment that they could imagine, right? Right. But <laughs> it's not the worst punishment that I could imagine at all. The worst punishment that I could imagine would have been to not help Tom as clearly and as fiercely as I did. To have betrayed right. my standards, my virtues, the ethics that I talk about in these latest videos. That, to me, would be the worst punishment, would be to look in the mirror and realize that I'd backed down out of dishonorable cowardice from helping a young man who had had so little help from his community that he needed to reach out over the Internet thousands of miles away to find a shred of ethical compassion, right? And outrage. Right. So the interesting thing is that 
I mean, this is why the false self never achieves what it wants to, right? So they, calling me, uh, you know, all these terrible names is not, it's not the worst punishment for me at all. I'm not saying I like it, but I'm certainly not saying that it's the worst punishment in the world at all. I mean, all they're doing is saying that that's the worst punishment in the world for me, right? Right. Tom's mom obviously is very sensitive to people thinking badly of her, and the reason for that is she obviously has a terrible conscience, and rightly so. And so she, she imagines that then if she gets people to speak badly of me, that's the worst punishment in the world for me, because it is the worst punishment in the world for her, right? But that's nonsense. It's, it's got nothing to do fundamentally with the worst punishment in the world for me. Anyway, so, so, so the reason that I'm sort of mentioning that is that for codependent people, for uh, what Rand calls the social metaphysicians, right, those who define themselves through their relations to others, indifference is the worst thing in the world, right? Because they don't feel that they exist to themselves and for themselves and by themselves. Because they don't feel that they exist if they don't make an impression on other people. Then they feel like they are being erased. They feel it's like a kind of death, if that makes any sense. Right, that's exactly what I used to be like. Right, and, and this was your plumage, right? Your plumage, your... Uh, your your piercings, uh, the way that you uh, uh, presented yourself in the world was for impact, right? Because if people were indifferent to you or uninterested in you, it felt like a kind of death, right? Yeah. But if the dream says what I think it might be saying, and if this is just one of many possibilities, but I think it's the strongest one in my opinion. The dream is saying if you have the inner plumage of happiness, you don't need the outer plumage of shock value. Because the indif- when, when you are at peace with yourself and happy with yourself and enjoying your life, the indifference of dysfunctional people is no problem. It's no punishment. In fact, having those people interested in you would be not good, right? Right. And so you're running from the store because you fear that they're going to be very interested in you and want to punish you and so on, right? And they don't care. And you're actually relieved about that, right? Right. Whereas if you, were, if you were a completely messed up person, I'm not even saying you're a partially messed up person, but if you were a completely messed up person, you would be disappointed that no one chased you. Whereas in this dream, if I understand it rightly, you're, you're relieved, right? Right. So I think that's that – sorry, I think that's good. And the last thing I'll say just before I turn it back over to you because you said also why do I put the bird in the cage, right? Because when you look in the pet store and the bird is outside the cage, you consider that to be a sign of carelessness, of indifference towards the bird on the part of the pet shop owners, right? Right. I keep wanting to say pet shop boys and burst into song, but I won't because it's not that kind of show. So you putting the bird in the cage is actually acting to protect the bird. And to keep the bird safe, right? Right, yeah. That makes sense. 
that's all I had to say as a sort of first pass of a way of looking at the dream. Um, so tell me what, uh, what you're thinking you're feeling and, and what this uh, sort of means or, or anything like that. Um, well, it really helps me understand the other dreams that I had about um, birds. Um, I had this this dream that I found um, some some dying baby birds, and I, I I saved them and I fed them, and they became really beautiful. And I remember I remember really clearly one of the birds after I saved it. Um, I looked in its eyes, and its eyes had like the most the most beautiful expression of joy. Sorry to be annoying. You just kind of gobbled out there. If you could just repeat that last sentence. Um. In one of the dreams, I this bird that I saved had, um, like, the most beautiful of um, I had ever seen. It's eyes on the So, yeah, it's just something like that. Right, right. No, I mean, that, that certainly does, I think, fit into the, the metaphor. Uh, I mean, the birds have lots of meanings in dreams, um, in my... <laughs> You know, amateur opinion, but I think that uh, this, in this case, uh, the bluebird, uh, there's such a strong connotation of affection, uh, of protection, of uh, mutuality, right? You like the bird, and the bird likes you. I mean, you're grabbing the bird as it's pecking at your hand and tracking it off to a cookout or something, right? I mean, you uh, you like the bird. The bird obviously feels comfortable and likes you, and that to me would be a sort of true self reciprocity. And uh, that, to me, is a wonderful thing. I think there is, in fact, a song called The Bluebird of Happiness. Uh, I don't know if this <laughs> means anything uh, to you, but um, I think that uh, it's, I mean, if it, birds could show up like you could be dying of thirst in the desert with buzzards or vultures circling overhead, and that would be a bird dream, but would be quite, quite different from what you're experiencing. I mean, it seems to me like you are using an act of daring to... to to woo, and you don't just grab the bird, right? You establish a relationship with the bird. There's a patience in this. You're not just like, ooh, pretty bird, you know, grab and, and run, right? You walk around the store with the bird on your finger. The bird comes to you voluntarily. So there's a beautiful kind of uh, joyful reciprocity and connection and affection and trust and and all of that. And that seems to me, there's, I mean, there's something to me very moving and beautiful in... Uh, in this dream and the fact that you are taking a risk to keep something that you feel affection or love for um that is happy to be with you this this budgie to me that's just beautiful I and mean, it's very moving it's it's lovely yeah um, i'm feeling uh, pretty intensely happy right now so that is great, and I, th I think you should be. And I, uh, you know, one of the things that I've really noticed, and this is sort of informing the the dream approach that I took, is that you have um, developed a, a great capacity for uh, affection and a great appreciation, a greater appreciation of beauty over the last uh, four to six months than I've seen uh, from knowing you before. And to me, I mean, it's a beautiful thing to see uh, the, the the degree to which you express that and share that, and. Uh, uh, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate that, and uh, 
I'm certainly glad that you're feeling um, so much happier. And I think that you should really treasure this uh, this dream and uh, see if you can visit your inner budgie every night. I mean, how, how lovely. Thanks, Steph. You're welcome. Is there anything else that you wanted to add to uh, to that? Um, no, I think that's all. All right. Um, I just wanted to. Uh, somebody posted about the Bluebird of Happiness. Um, uh, not the lyrics, for some reason, because I could have definitely made up a rap to that. But no, uh, it says the mythology of the Bluebird of Happiness has deep roots that go back thousands of years. Indigenous cultures across the globe hold similar myths and beliefs about the bluebird. It is the most universally accepted symbol of cheerfulness, happiness, prosperity, hearth and home, good health, new births, the renewal of springtime, etc. Virtually any positive sentiments may be attached to the bluebird. In magical symbology, bluebirds are used to represent confidence in the positive aspect and egotism in the negative. A dead bluebird is a symbol of disillusionment, of the loss of innocence and of transformation from the younger and naive to the older and wiser. And this is all contested and blah, 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 blah. But uh, it is a blue budgie with albino eyes. And that just sounds very, very striking. So anyway, I'm very glad that you shared it. I think it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful dream and something to be really treasured. And uh, this is why, you know, when you can have dreams like this, drugs to me make no sense. <laughs> right? We have this every night, this uh, amazing ability to discover ourselves to have perfectly vivid, useful, beautiful, and informative, and sometimes terrifying hallucinations that are full body contact hallucinations every night. I just can't imagine why you'd want to do drugs as well. So anyway, that's just my little thing to get every all the drug users riled up. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that. And thank you so much for sharing. That was a beautiful, beautiful dream. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you. And uh, do let us know uh, if you have... Um, Another, uh, if the, the bird shows up, I hope that you will, even if you post it in a, a premium section, if you would post it, I certainly would be, uh, I would be interested to hear more. Okay, thank you. All right. Okay, we have time for 1.3742 more questions. So uh, if you have 0.3742, oh, sorry, 0.3741 now. Oh, wait, 0.374, no, I'll stop. Uh, next question, if you would like to... <laughs> <laughs> Jump in. Steph? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, it's Nate. Arr. I have a question of examining our 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 blindness or often, you know, um, issues with corruption. Uh, sounds uh, sounds productive and useful. I was hoping that somebody was going to bring up an epistemological question so I could turn it into a, a criticism of their parents, but... Uh, clearly, that's not going to happen this week, so we'll have to be patient. You you have a a good history with examining your own, your own relationship to in your past with corruption, and I just I've I've just only more recently begun to discover other areas in my life where I was not exactly living my values, and um, this is with my relationship to men. And um, I, 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 I talked with some people on the board and with my therapist to a, a more extensive extent. I'm and, sorry, um, just, just to interrupt you, just, just to put this, you know, Nate's relationship with men in, into context for those who are sort of newer to the conversation. 
I'd just like you to close your eyes and imagine that you're going into a very dank bathhouse that smells vaguely of elderberries. <laughs> and you are wearing a very threadbare uh, loincloth that actually has bluebirds stitched on it uh, in ways that we don't care to examine at this particular time. And that you have a very small beak. Just kidding. Okay, sorry. Uh, that makes no sense whatsoever. But uh, please continue. Well, um, recently I had broken off a relationship with – or a forming relationship with somebody that was a waiter slash bartender at a restaurant that I would frequent quite often. And he was um, not the most um, moral person. Um, the, the, it started where I would, I would go there regularly because I, I like Mexican food. And I'm so sorry. I just got dis- I'm, I'm completely rude, and I do apologize. I just got distracted by something in the chat room. Plus, uh, but this is the first time that Isabella has looked at me with true shock. Uh, based on my earlier statements about the bathhouse. Uh, could you just remind me who this fellow is, and then uh, please continue the story, and I do apologize. Um, okay, well, I I, had gone, I go to this restaurant, or I used to, this um, Tex-Mex restaurant. I, I've recently found a better one. But um, I would go there quite often, and then I, after a while, I sort of noticed that um, it was getting cheaper. Um to go there and I assume, well, there must be somebody that sees me as a regular. And I mean, this was, these were my first thoughts um, when this was beginning and, and it turned out to be this, you know, this bartender, he was um, gay. And I assume, I assumed at first that he might be attracted to me. And then I started talking to him and then I found out, no, he's, he's not. He just, he saw me as a regular and, um, I, I don't know what his original motive was. My my guess was that um, he began char- not charging me for certain things. And my original guess after my first evaluation of this after several months was that he was kind of buying my friendship in a way. But um, I would go there quite often and it became more about going there to hang out with him and talk to him. And um, the conversations were always brief because he was a, a busy guy that was, you know, working there. And um, I started to realize that um, that he was, you know, this this was several months later that there was something wrong, you know, with with the whole relationship, and I couldn't quite catch on to what it was that bothered me about it so much. And I had um, my first theory was that he had kind of bought my friendship because I I wondered whether I would be going there to talk to this guy if he was not giving me discounts. And then I reckon after talking to someone in the chat room, I recognized that um, he, he pointed out that this guy is not the owner of the restaurant. And his giving me discounts isn't exactly his um, decision to make. And so I started to question him about it. I I took him out one night to a a place and questioned him about it and found out a lot more about him. (laughs) That, you know, he's been in the army and um, he's got a friend that's uh, got a very 
morally questionable past and um and he's kind of it, he's similar to my old friend mark in a way that that he's kind of condescending but maybe not so much condescending but shockingly sort of insulting every now and then and i would sort of be afraid to tell him that i was hurt every once in a while and um so when i started to examine this i'd taken him out and realized that you know um i i, I told him to stop not charging me and then i i sort of realized that this guy has a lot more in common with my old friends than um than i previously thought so in a way i've kind of been participating in this in this or enabling his giving me discounts and stuff like that when that wasn't his decision to make and um upon further examination i realized well this all my past friends have been like this um corrupt to one degree or another or condescending or just kind of jerks and then of course it hit me that you know, much like my relationships to women, they're all similar to my mother. The, these guys are very similar to my father. And um, and that's kind of what was blinding me to it, because my father would involve me in some corrupt activities like uh, pyramid schemes and, and um, all kinds of like, copying of... VCR tapes, trying to get get getting mad at me for not fixing his his VCR copying technology when I was young, and um, I I just wondered if there's any way that you could perhaps help me avoid this in the future, <laughs> or, or pick pick out maybe what what it was that I missed in the first. But besides the discounts, <laughs> what I missed in the first uh, few minutes, so that my future friends are are better chosen. Sure, and uh, this will be a, a one-time offer for three easy payments you get. And this is both spelt with a K, so write this down: the cult crystals, which will ward off corrupt people, uh, and uh, actually are a fanta- <laughs> fantastic exfoliant for your back hair for some of our Mediterranean listeners. So, um, <laughs> sorry, what was the question? <laughs> Yours but for the low, low price of <laughs> operators are standing by. Uh, okay, well, I think that uh, you um, you had some wonderful insights there and uh, neatly skirted around uh, the big the big point the big point in in my humble opinion. Okay, you said that um, this fellow reminded you of Mark and of your other friends and of some of your relationships with women, and you said that he also reminded you of your father. Yes. Right. None of those would lend you to be susceptible to him at all. None of those historical relationships, in my opinion. Okay. So even if there's a pattern stretching as far back as my teens and... Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, okay. look, I mean, to, 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 uh, not to pump myself up, right, just because I happen to have passed this particular gateway, but I had that pattern as well, but I'm not susceptible to these people, right? So there's got to be something different, right? Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, not yet. 
Well, no, but does it make sense that if it would cause an effect, like the history means that I'm now susceptible to these people, then I would still be susceptible to these people, right? I mean, you and I are not that far apart in age, right? Right. But if I were like blind to the corruption of, say, my father and the the um, conscription that that the being conscripted into his dirty deeds and alternative medicine scams and stuff like that, then would I not be also blind to that myself and my susceptibility to that with other people? No, because what you're doing is you're, you're looking at this as, uh, uh, as something which is, um, which has been inflicted upon you. Uh, by your history, and therefore, which renders you to be blind to it yourself. And that's not, a corruption does not maintain itself in our lives because other people are corrupt towards us. Okay. Right, uh, I mean, if you, if you remember uh, what I've talked about in terms of my own having to look into the distorted, not-so-fun-house mirror of my own corruption was when, uh, and of course this is in the novel The God of Atheists, right, but it's when the kind of character by proxy uh, realizes that he uh, himself is contributing to the corruption, right? It's not being done unto him. He's not being lied to that he uh, profited from a situation or an environment that he already knew was corrupt. And therefore, it was not being done unto him. And that's when he looked at his own dark side and uh, was able to begin to free himself from that. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Right, so the reason that you're susceptible to this fellow, again, humble nonsense opinion, right? But the, the reason that I would su suggest that you're susceptible to this fellow is not because your friends in the past were corrupt and not anymore because your father's corrupt. Why? Because you're not 20, right? I mean, you're in your mid to late 30s, right? So uh, mid 30s, is that right? Early 30s still. Early 30s. I refuse to call it my mid 30s until I'm actually in the middle. <laughs> How old are you now? 34. Right. So <laughs> mid thirties, uh, <laughs> and I think here we have part of the problem: <laughs> rejection of reality. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it's the same way that I'm in my extremely late twenties. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so the the reason, though, is that you uh, you must still be doing this, right? You must still be feeling that it's you plus something that equals value. Right. Because this guy plus comps equaled value for you. Right. Right. Now, why would this guy plus comps equal value for you unless you felt that you plus something must equal must be required to equal value to, some, to others? Um, I wouldn't doubt that is the case. It's, oh, I'm a fantastic sure. legal hedge res response. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt in some alternate universe if negative equals minus one that it could be possible that I might not exactly not doing this by the opposite. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's the case. I, although I'm not sure where yet. I... Right. We are susceptible in others to the corruptions that we bring or the insecurities we could say that we bring right yes that's an awful quick agreement but we'll we'll take it at its face well no no <laughs> i understand because uh you know in the past when i was uh, desperate for a relationship i would sort of uh, 
um, discard all the obvious facts about the other person due to my insecurity and, and desperation. Right. So, in other words, the corruption, you, you were creating the corruption. It wasn't being inflicted upon you, right? I mean, the corruption that's inflicted upon us is, is taxation, right? Not relationships. Right. 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 So, this when is, this, this guy, uh, so, so you, you had a feeling when you met this guy, right? Yes. And your feeling, uh, in hindsight, I'm sure, was quite accurate. And he probably got that you had this feeling, and he probably was... Uh, attracted to you in some way or another and even if he's gay the attraction doesn't necessarily have anything doesn't have to have anything to do with sexual desire the um uh, a, a, a and let's just p- put it in completely nonsensical black and white terms uh, a bad uh, person can really want um the approval of a good person right so if if you have a negative opinion of a bad person he may, you know, gay or straight or whatever, he may really want to win you over because what you do by having a bad opinion of him is you trigger his own conscience and therefore he needs to turn you around to assuage his own conscience, if that makes any sense. That makes complete sense. Right, that, and that's that, because he can't handle the, the, not someone not liking him, right? Because of his own bad opinion of himself, someone doesn't like him, it awakens that. Um, self-attack and and therefore he has to manage the externalities by winning over the person who's attacking him blah 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 right right and I'm sure this was his reaction when I ended the relationship when I sort of told him that look we have opposing values I I don't think it's a good idea okay now tell me what you mean and I may have missed something here uh, in what you were saying but tell me what it means like, didn't you just have a few chats with a waiter who gave you free stuff? Yes. So help me understand what the word relationship means here. Because I mean, maybe it does. I'm just not sure I see, see where it fits. Well, it was developing, I think, into something more than just a relationship with a waiter. Uh, I mean, a, a business relationship. And so how was it a business relationship? And I'm sorry if I missed this. Well, I mean, I would go and eat and and pay for my food. And, and I, I was there for, for, for food and to socialize, I guess, to some limited degree. Okay, so you were a customer. So to me, a business relationship is, you know, we're going to be partners in some venture or whatever, right? But so you were, you were a customer... And you enjoyed uh, this guy's attention, is that right? Yeah. And what did you enjoy about this fellow's attention? Um, I think, in hindsight, that it was any attention that, that I valued. Go on. That I was um, bored and sort of... <laughs> Still feeling a bit lonely, and I wanted to socialize in some way. So I, I this guy, I had this guy's attention. So you know, because he gave me attention, I, I that was that was uh, the extent of my standards there, I guess. Okay, so uh, go on.
Um, so the relationship was developing from that because we went and we went and hung out twice. Once during Halloween, we went to the gay bar scene where all the costume stuff was going on the the elaborate costumes and and things like that 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 happen on Halloween and then um another time we met at a pub um this is when I talked to him about the the under under the table thing that was going on at the restaurant you mean the uh that he shouldn't be giving you comms because it's not his restaurant right Right. I remember once uh, when I was much younger going to a transvestite bar for Halloween. Um, I thought they'd all just be dressed normal, but it uh, wasn't really the way it was. <laughs> yeah, you should, you should see the kinds of costumes they, they... I mean, this is just like... This is it's like almost going to the circus, kind of, because the... A very grabby circus, I might add, but uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, so um, so this uh, this fellow um, was a way for you to uh, to break a kind of isolation, is that right? And to feel like you're socializing and so on. Yes. All right. And um, uh, when? Uh, how, how long was this going on? Um, from February to the beginning of December. From February of last year to the beginning of December. Yes, and I wouldn't say that I, I started going to the restaurant in February, and I didn't really start noticing until March. So. And why did you think that he was, uh, I mean, you, you said that you thought maybe he was interested in you for sexual reasons, but um, uh, w once he knew that you weren't a gay, what uh, what did you think he was, what, what uh what was your theory as to why he wanted to uh, to befriend you? I um, let's see. Um, I don't think I had a theory then. Yeah, but you did. Now, um, you did for sure because we we process everything right all the time. So maybe you didn't know it, but if someone had stopped and asked you in February or March or April or whatever, why uh, does the guy want to be your friend? I might have said because he likes me or because he but likes you thinks have. I'm cool. Or, or like, likes you, you mean not in a sexual way, but in a, a friend way? Yeah, like I'm, I'm interesting or, or that I'm interesting to talk to, I guess, maybe. That uh, sounds staggeringly not convincing, <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> See, I, well, I'm not quite sure about it because I... Um, like now, I would say that, like you were saying, he was interested in covering up his uh, feeling better about himself. But back then, I would have either thought that he was not telling me that he was attracted to me, or that if he wasn't attracted to me, then he found me interesting. Okay, so he found you interesting as a human being, and what about you did he find 
interesting as a human being in a non-sexual way? I think that I would uh, talk about um, philosophy. I think we had conversations about psychology and and um, however brief they were between <laughs> serving people. Sorry, was, you have uh, conversations about philosophy and psychology while he was working as a waiter? Yeah. Does that sound believable? Because there were, Does that sound there were... believable to you if you <laughs> if you play this back and listen to the podcast? Does that sound very believable to you? I'm just curious. Maybe it does. I'm just, you know, it doesn't seem to me particularly well, were... like a good environment for that kind of stuff, but I could be completely wrong. There were there were moments uh, like uh, where 20, 30 minutes would pass where he wasn't serving anyone, where, where nobody was there, or it was a slow night, or and um, he would just sort of stand there <laughs> in front of me, where I would sit at the bar and eat, and um, we'd talk back and forth. You know, there were times where he would tell me a dream he had, and I just thought, you know, I'd try to tell him what I thought it meant, and um, things like that. And I did share your book with them, Everyday Anarchy, and he read it. And then he gave me a book, um, a comic book. <laughs> your shoes are untied. Sorry. No, no. Uh, okay. Yeah. And um, did he appear to be uh, psychologically knowledgeable or sophisticated or anything like that? No. Okay. So what, no, uh, what value did he bring to you that um, – that made the relationship something that was worth, con I mean, other than the comps, right? Obviously, that's, you know, just uber slutty and all, right? So we don't have to worry about that, right? Yeah. I mean, we're aware of that. But um, what, uh, what, uh, what did he bring to you um, that made up for his knowledge, lack of knowledge or sophistication in these matters? Just the interaction with another human being, I think. So basically, he brought a pulse and a carbon-based life form with a frontal lobe to the table, right? Exactly. Now, if this had been a single woman who you were not at all sexually attracted to, but who was single and, and looking, um, how would you have uh, thought, what would you have thought about your role in this, in this relationship? I might... Like if, if, if the guy were a girl. Yeah. Sorry. Did you just drop an ear? <laughs> Do you want me to say it again? <laughs> yes. If, if he were a girl, then, um, a single girl who was looking, um, who you thought might be attracted to you, uh, who bought you drinks and who didn't really know much about the stuff that you were interested in and so on. I mean, how would you feel about continuing this? Uh, for almost a year and going on a quote date and so on with no uh, no intention ever of, of becoming romantically involved with her I don't think that I would have uh, I think I would have paid a lot more attention to this and talked about it a lot more in ther therapy than 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 um, it would be with a guy because I, I I've been more focused on, on the opposite sex than I have with the same-sex relationships. Right, but I mean, you know that uh, when it comes to a gay man, it's the same as a, a straight woman, right? When it comes to attraction to a guy, right? 
Yes. Yes, you're right. Okay. Right. You're right. So, I mean, the, the, the metaphor, while not perfect, is certainly, uh, or the analogy, while not perfect, is certainly close enough to be a value, right? So, perhaps I'm like, I was leading him on. You think? Or <laughs> let's go to a gay bar. Uh, I will take free drinks. Um, I will instruct you on philosophy and psychology. Um, let's go out again. I mean, if this was a woman who was attracted to you, there would be almost no, no question, right? That you would be leading this woman on because you felt lonely, uh, though you had no intention of dating her, right? Right. That would have been obvious. Yeah, I'm not sure why it's not obvious in this situation, but uh, that, would be, that would be my thought. Well, he would constantly protest any time I would bring up the subject. He would protest that his attraction to me. I mean, he would prote- protest that he was attracted. That he was what? Oh, did we lose him? Oh, nays. Hello? Eight. Are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm back. Uh, sorry, you're back, rather. Sorry. I lost power. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so he would protest that he was not uh, physically attracted to you? Yes. Right. I mean, on three or four occasions. And but, I, but why would you see? Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Why were you even asking? Because I suspected that that was the reason why he was even remotely interested in, in me. Okay. So this is what you – then you say, well, I can't imagine how this could be analogous to a straight female, right? Right, because if he's not interested in me – Yes, but if he's not interested in you, Nate, and you ask him, why are you asking him again? Right? If some guy comes up to me with a strong South, Af- South African accent, right? And I say, are you from South Africa? And he says, no. Right? And then he doesn't speak with a South African accent for a little while. And then he slips into a South African accent again. I will say, are you sure you're not from South Africa? Because I've lived there and you sure sound like you're from South Africa. He's like, no, I'm Scottish or something. You know, whatever, right? Um, right? So, so this is clear that, that you knew, right? Because you asked him again and you asked him again and you asked him again and you asked him again, right? That would make sense. That would make that, sense. Come on, Nate. You're not new to the rodeo here, right? You're not a first-time caller because the bell didn't go off and we didn't release a blue budgie, right? right. So why did this continue when you have access to the resources here, including me, for 10 months or 11 months? Huh. Right? Because you, uh, you haven't had any questions in the call-in show for, what, eight months? Ten months? Yeah. And like, I'm not saying you, nobody has to run anything by me, but this, in this situation, right, you were specifically avoiding feedback that was uh, very easily available, right? And you've got very positive uh, feedback for the conversations that you've had with me. People have found them enormously helpful, and uh, so have you, right? And it's not like I charge, right? So there's no, there's no money issues there, right? Right. And as you say, you didn't bring it up in therapy, you didn't bring it up in group, you didn't bring it up at FDR, you didn't bring it up with me, you didn't bring it up with any of the friends you have here or, or elsewhere. So, of course you knew what was going on, right? 
and you wanted it to continue because it was uh, doing something positive for your vanity and your ego, right? And then, then what you do is yeah. you call me up and you say, you know, uh, people are just exploiting me. <laughs> I have this history of being exploited, you see. And I'm, you know, this, I got into this because I'm so used to being exploited. No, no, I wouldn't say that that was my, what I was trying to tell you. Because I, right, I that's not that what I you were had... trying to tell me. That's explicitly what you were telling me. Because I, you know, you said, well, he reminds me of Mark and he reminds me of my other friends and he reminds me of my dad and these people were all corrupt, right? And exploited me. Right. Right. But you see that you're the exploiter right, but... here, right? Oh, I see. And, and as an exploiter who doesn't see his own actions, and I mean this with all sympathy and respect, right? I mean, I hope you understand that. I have great affection for you, right? And I mean this with all sympathy and respect. But the exploiter who cannot see his own exploitation will see it in everyone else but him, right? Right. And will genuinely feel like a victim of exploitation, right? Right. There was a lot of ambivalence the whole time because I, I thought, you know, this is, is this a, am I trying to be friends with this guy? What, what's going on here? I was. And certainty was a half hour phone call away for 10 months, right? Yeah. And you didn't want that certainty, right? No, I don't think I did. Well, we know that you didn't because you didn't clarify it, right? Right. With the therapist and group, with friends, with me, with anyone, right? And again, this is with all sympathy, right? I mean, really do sympathize, right? But this is just the reality, right? Yeah. You also know that you have a capacity, uh, as we all do, right? You have a dark side because we've had a great podcast about that, I think about a year and, year and a quarter ago. You have a capacity for dark side. You also have a capacity for romantic addiction. You also have a great need to feel sexually attractive. You also have the capacity to exploit others for, uh, for these reasons, right? Right. So then you get involved with a gay man who's comping you, and you don't think that this is important to raise. I'm sorry to laugh because it's so obvious from the outside, right? But you don't feel that this is an important issue to raise with anyone, despite the fact that you know that these are strong tendencies of, of, of uh, problematic behaviors within you? The f I, I think that um, that's, that's interesting because he's, he's a I just shifted from women to men. Sure, absolutely. And you would be surprised at how common that is. Which I wasn't focused on, on my relationships to men at the time, other than my past with Mark. And I talked about that to some extensive degree in therapy, but didn't talk about this guy who... I mean, seriously, if you'd posted on the board, right, and you'd said, uh, a gay guy I keep thinking is attracted to me, is comping me drinks, should I go out with him? What would people have said? <laughs> what would you have said if you'd seen that posted? Uh, said that way? Yeah, I don't... Well, I, sorry, I don't, is, that, is, that, is that the wrong way to say it? Is there another way that's that's not as uh, sort of bold, so to speak? Well, that <laughs> that's bold and, and accurate truth right there. I... 
I'm not sure I would have come out with it any different than I am now. Right. So, what? what I, and the reason I'm saying all of this is not. I don't, certainly don't want you to feel bad, right? I mean, you did what you did, but um, I, I've certainly noticed. I mean, it's. <laughs> I don't sound like uh, the big bald brother in the sky or whatever, right? But uh, um, I know where people are, right? Particularly people who've been around for a long time. Um, I can't ever find my glasses or my keys, but I know where everyone is who's been around for a while. And I know that you were not in the conversation for quite some time. Right, you you have not been doing, I mean, I know you've been doing work in therapy and I certainly don't want to dismiss any of that. But I knew for sure that you weren't... Uh, engaged in in continuous improvement as far as the, as far as that went you weren't posting stuff on the board that was you weren't having insights you weren't having breakthroughs you weren't posting on the board about stuff that went through you were getting all abstract and writing on your blog and you know that's all completely fine but it was very clear to me that um you had uh, stalled as far as progress went and it had been for about the last year and i guess uh, this would be part of it right Because well, you've, you've spent a year uh, not dealing, and again, I'm putting this in ridiculously extreme ways, and just tell me where I'm, where I'm full of it, right? But if at this point you're still not willing to bring up these issues with people, and by people I mean you know your therapist or friends or whatever, or me or whatever, right? But you're still not confronting your own corruption in this area, your own capacity for exploitation, which we all have and we all share. I'm not trying to pick you out of a crowd. And you are still managing your anxiety and loneliness through uh through flirtatious behavior which is it has been a big problem for you in the past right right and uh this is not something that i mean you were avoiding you've been avoiding it for months and not tackling it as far as i can see right as far as sort of what you're reporting to me and i i mean this with no uh, no criticism and no negativity it's just well, I, I sort of see as it. far as i know i I would just, I was working on a lot. <laughs> I mean, I covered a lot of ground, I thought. As far as everything else, and besides this relationship, that this... No, but it's, it's the, the issue is that it's not this relationship, right? It's, it's my uh, capacity for this. Well, again, it's not to pick you out. It's it's everyone's capacity for this, right? But you know, given what you went through with uh, with the women um, uh, over the past couple of years, and given the conversations that you and I have had and the work that you've done in therapy, right? You know that you have a loneliness. You know that you have feel that uh, sexual attraction uh, is is a way to solve the problem of loneliness. When of course it doesn't. It actually just makes it worse. And uh, uh, you didn't bring any of this stuff up. Now, maybe you're working on a whole bunch of other things, but this is a core issue for you, right? Yes. I mean, this certainly was the most significant issue that you and I have, have wrestled with as far as your life goes, right? Right. And as far as I know, I've, I've been wrestling with that for for a long time. Even over the past nine months, I just didn't quite see going once a week to this restaurant as part of the problem. And, and, and now do you think that, uh, it is, and again, look, I'm not saying like, Oh my God, you, you decided to, uh, uh, to, uh, to turn gay and, you know, fly, fly to BC and get married to this guy. I mean, I'm not trying to over inflate what it is 
that has been going on, right? But but what 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 I'm what I sort of want to be annoying and, and remind you about, uh, you know, for what it's worth, is that you let go of the principle and you are managing your anxiety in the moment, right? Because the principle is that we're all capable of corruption and exploitation, and that this was a clearly not positive situation for you or for this other fellow, right? And right. Um, uh, and you didn't talk about it with your therapist, and you didn't talk about it with anyone else. Which meant that you were avoiding something that was on your mind and what's worse, and I say worse not in terms of criticism but just in terms of the effects, what's worse is that you seem to be completely unaware that you were avoiding an essential topic that was related to one of the most core issues that you've had in terms of problems in your life. Right, because you said to me, oh, I would think this about it, and I would think that about it, and I would think the other about it, and then I'd think, well, but he, I, I asked him, and he's not a trust. So this was going on in your mind, and you were not talking about it with uh, the people in your life, right? No, I, I wasn't. And the reason, again, I'm, you don't have to talk about it with me. You don't have to you know, talk about it with your therapist or something, right? But what I'm trying to point out to you, Nate, is that it's so, so important to know when you're avoiding a topic. This is an elemental, elemental, elemental aspect to self-knowledge. To be conscious of an unconscious avoidance is 95% of the battle when it comes to self-knowledge and fundamentally virtue, right? Right. And for, for I, 10 I months... I wasn't even aware that sorry, I was avoiding... Sorry, go ahead. I just wasn't aware that I was avoiding anything significant enough to, to worry. I thought there were other things to, to pay attention to. It just wasn't – it's something that came across my mind every once in a while. Every time I – the Friday would come up, and which is when I'd go eat my Mexican food, I I could never put my finger on what it was. And granted, yes, I was avoiding talking about whatever it was that I couldn't put my finger on. But I, I thought that maybe, okay, so maybe it's, um, well, and let me not, uh, let me not, uh, uh, you know, be a steamroller. I mean, this is my sense of it. And again, I don't have a full context and I don't know obviously what's been going in your, in, on in your life outside of this except for some other small details, not so small sometimes. But I don't want to, to make too big a deal out of this. Uh, certainly if you feel that it wasn't, a partic- if it wasn't a big enough issue to bring up with your therapist, if it wasn't anything that was troublesome to you to the point where uh, uh, it came up over 10 months at all in, um, in group or in um, – uh, with your therapist or, or was any reason to have a conversation with about anyone at FDR or me or any other friends, then maybe you, you're right. Maybe it wasn't a big issue at all, right? In which case, uh, then I'm sort of making a mountain out of a molehill, if that makes sense. No, I think in hindsight, no, I do think it's a big issue because, um, because I was, I was, and this this is more than I thought I would. Uh, the more than I I got more than I bargained for by bringing this up because. See uh, now here original... here again I gotta just keep interrupting you right. Come on, <laughs> I mean how long have you listened to this show? Two years. Yeah. 
And are you genuinely saying to me that uh, I uh, that you got more than you bargained for when you brought up this issue with me, given what I know about your history? That I might not pull out certain principles that are not being uh, that are not that you're not conscious of here. No, I didn't. No, I, I I'm not saying that I didn't expect to learn something totally new. But I, I, what I am saying is that my original um, analysis of it, I mean, in therapy over the past month and with um, other people on the board, was that, you know, I was participating in the in, in enabling this kind of corruption with him as far as the comp stuff was going. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see it as dragging a guy that was attracted to me along. Okay, and and let's let's I, let me just I, again. I don't want to uh, I don't want to make uh, more out of this than than there is, right? So so I'll just ask a simple question, and then we can uh, uh, drop it because obviously, if you're talking about it with your therapist, that's more important. Um, the way that I mean, if I were in your shoes, the what I would say to myself is, okay, well, if this last year, if I have been making tremendous progress over the last year, then I should be ready to um, to start in on a, a healthy, positive relationship romantically with a woman. That would be because yeah. I mean it's it's been it's been a while, right? Right. And and you are to be massively and and immensely and biblically complimented for for that, right? For not uh, getting reinvolved with a woman as you work through this stuff, right? Right. So if uh, you, you have, as you say, that this is a minor issue, you've been making lots of progress in other areas of your life, then uh, you should be close to or ready or feel uh, ready to embark upon, not perfect because nothing's perfect, but, you know, a healthy and mature and uh, positive relationship with a woman. And I just, I, I find it hard to, to see that relative to what was going on with this gay guy. But... Uh, what do I know, right? I'm talking to you for like 40 minutes, right? So, uh, so how, do, how do you feel relative to that goal, right? Because the goal is for you, if I remember rightly, you know, love relationship, marriage, uh, kids maybe, and that kind of stuff. Well, I have been discussing this a lot with, with um, the therapist. And what we sort of sorted out was that um, what I need to do is, is pay attention to the skeptical side of me that I had repressed and the 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 side of me that desires the part of me that desires and really wants to get into a relationship i need to also give it the attention because if i repress that then all i end up doing is becoming highly skeptical and suspicious of everybody i get involved with which would sort of result in the opposite okay so i'm sorry and what i need to do is pay attention i'm so sorry go ahead let me let me not be annoying and interrupt let me be annoying in other ways but not through interruption sorry go on well, she said, you know, what we figured out is that I, I need to pay attention to the people I meet and get involved with, collect data, you know, find, don't throw out any good information, come to her, talk about what I learned about this person, sort it out, you know, let help, let her help me guide myself through the first couple of dates with people and um, with women, at least, and, and any new developing friendships and, um, you know, then 
then that would be a healthy way to go about starting relationships. That's wonderful. Uh, that, I mean, I think that's great. I'm going to try and give you something that's a bit more detailed. And this is, I think, completely dovetails with what your therapist is saying. Uh, but of course, comes from a, uh, a know-nothing philosopher in Canada, right? So again, all the caveats in the world. But do this uh, just as a little exercise. And I think this is useful for a lot of people. And this is certainly something that, that helped me in the past. You must have uh, some idea, in fact, I'm pretty sure you do, right? Some idea of, of the perfect woman for you, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I even wrote, I did the, your exercise on, on that. Fantastic. Okay, so let's call this perfect woman Dan. No, I'm just kidding. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's call this perfect woman Sue or whatever, right? Okay. okay. Now, when you are getting, uh, if, if, let's go back to February and you study to get this Mexican restaurant, and uh, uh, Mr. Comp Burrito Bar is chatting you up and this and that and the other. This would be my suggestion, right? Uh, and and you, you get sort of in conversations with this fellow and you think maybe he's attractive. I see where you're going. <laughs> well, let's uh, yeah, take, take us to the bridge, brother. <laughs> I ask myself what Sue would think of this person if she would approve if if she's the kind of woman that's, that's perfect and, and, you know, virtuous and what she would think of this guy. Yeah. And that's one way of looking at it. Um, and that may be even more vivid than what I was saying, but what I was, uh, what I was going to say is imagine then you're on your second or third date with Sue and you just came back from, uh, from the gay bar with Mr. Burrito guy. And she says, Hey, what did you do on the weekend? And you, you say, well, uh, this gay guy has been comping me food at this restaurant. So I went to a gay bar with him, uh, and I asked him whether he was attracted to me and he kept saying no. And so, uh, I'm all confused about it and blah, 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 blah. Right. What would Sue's face uh, look like when you related this? She would be quite concerned. <laughs> Go on. I, I think she would uh, probably run away. And this is a good, uh, a shortcut, right? It's a, a you know, there's this thing that Ayn Rand used to say, um, you know, people would say, well, what would Howard Rock do? Right. And she said, it's a, it's a good shortcut to cutting through the nonsense to uh, to get to the core good or bad thing. Right. Which is uh, I, I call her my inner wifelet because my wife is not very large, although she looms very large in my brain. But uh, it's like, OK, well, what would Christina think? <laughs> what would Christina think? Right. And if she smiles, I do it. And if she frowns, uh, I slap myself and not in the way that I like you know, with the duck fat and baby oil. But um, uh, so so this would be my suggestion, right? When you're sort of wrestling with these kinds of questions, oh, you know, should I take another free meal from, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, Quesadilla Gropey Fellow? Um, well, uh, I'm going to have to say something <laughs> to the woman of my dreams in the future or the man of my dreams in the future. Um, what would she think of this, right? And that's a much better way to go about it than what I had originally thought of. Like, I, I originally thought, well, if you met the guy, but then I would always get this sick feeling like, um, because I sort of view you as a, somewhat of a, of a father figure or authority figure. Don't make me George Michael. And it, and it, I'm right on the edge. <laughs> and it gives me that, um, that sick feeling of, of, of like um, disapproval kind of thing? sort of yeah just sort of um, 
like, uh, you know, the way morality was taught to us originally, it was oh, yeah. always just very, uh, yeah. <laughs> very um, repressing and, and, and punishing. And, and Right, like I would sort of was, sternly disapprove and say, you know, is your conscience worth a free burrito? Right. 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 And that's, I mean, you know, hey, I mean, <laughs> I don't care about the burrito thing particularly. But, uh, you know, I mean, I sort of think like, okay, well, if I had to, you know, if I hadn't met Christina and I met Christina just now and she said, hey, how was your November, December? Right. And I said, well, interesting. You should ask. Uh, I kind of got sort of mauled in the media because uh, I stood up for this kid and this is what I did and blah, blah, blah. I think that she would be interested. I think she would be probably a little cautious. But uh, I think that uh, she would probably end up being quite excited and proud of what it is that I did, particularly the fact that this uh, that Tom is doing so much better now and blah, blah, blah. Right. So so that sort of passes the test of the perfect woman for me. Right. Uh, and so on. You know, so so it's those kinds of things which I think can be really helpful in cutting through the complexity and getting through to yes. the core issues around sort of good uh, you know, productive or it's not like you're being evil or anything here, right? Or even particularly corrupt. This is not a big issue, right? I, but, but I think that why it's important uh, and is that the principles still seem to be somewhat obscure to you. And of course, I don't want to uh, come across like any kind of heavy, like, oh my God, you sold your soul for a plate full of refried bean beans, right? Now, don't get me wrong, refried beans can be fantastic, and certainly there have been times where my soul would have hung in the balance had that been the offer. But, uh, so I don't want this to come across all kinds of heavy-handed or anything like that. This is not, the, the, the content of the issues is not particularly significant, but I think that the form in terms of not communicating it and not being conscious of not communicating it and having a lot of ambivalence without reaching out for help with that ambivalence, that is the stuff that I think is important. Not you know, that you went to a gay bar and who cares, right? That doesn't matter. And the, a couple of plates of food, who cares, right? But I think that what is important is that the the principles of getting help from people, of being conscious when you're avoiding stuff and so on, I think that is the important thing to get out of this, if that makes sense. Yes, and that would break a, a, a very big pattern yeah because um, with, with me you, you then solve the problem of loneliness because you're reaching out to talk about loneliness you're not managing it through this kind of behavior right right <laughs> i think a lot of I've, I've felt a lot of ambivalence about that because well here my reasoning was was because that i feel like i'm i'm sort of burdening people with my problems every time I come to them for help and granted that doesn't that's kind of mean to to say as far as my you know be, mean to say about them but oh, it's I, I mean feel, to say um, it's not mean to say about them it's mean to say about yourself if I mean this is a this is a, a tip for everyone <laughs> not that everything gets first of all I can guarantee you that people are not finding this conversation a burden Right. Right. And the reason and I think that's kind of why sorry, go ahead. I haven't I'm just that's kind of why I haven't spoken up so much on the Sunday. So I was like, well, I've, I've taken up too much of his time and I've, you know, other people are new and they, they need to chime in and, and he doesn't get enough new people. And, and maybe I, I'm just, you know, I need to work these things out on my yes, own. But for Nate, once. But Nate, 
what is the RTR suggestion for that thought and those feelings? To tell you that I'm feeling that I don't want, I'm afraid that I'm, I'm taking up too much of your time. Dear God, man, show me the respect to let me make my own decision about it. Don't make that decision for me. You don't have that right to decide for me whether I want to talk to you or not. Right. Good Give me point. a voice in the interaction. At least let me into the Miko system throwdown, right? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the uh, MMA, right? My Miko system attack. <laughs> Right, that's the, yeah. R- the RTR thing, right? The RTR thing is, Steph, I have something that I want to bring up, but I'm feeling this, and I'm feeling that, and I'm feeling the other, and I don't know if it's interesting, and I feel that. That's called honesty, right? Coming to a conclusion called, and therefore Steph doesn't want to talk to me, is, uh, I think, disrespectful to you fundamentally, and it doesn't give me a choice in the matter, right? I really, right. really, really enjoy talking with you, Nate. I really, really enjoy talking with you. Right, so I'd like to have the choice, if that's all right with you, to 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 make that decision. That feels good. Okay, good, good. So, so this was a question I've had for the past month about what to do after I've broken this this relationship off after a month, and um, started going to a different restaurant and. Um, um, is should I go back and talk to the owner of the restaurant and give him a couple hundred bucks and say uh, and report what what he and reportedly the managers have been doing for other people doing these comp things and it, you mean should you get this guy fired? Yeah, well, you've already used him, right? I don't see how getting him fired would be that helpful. So that kind of, that wouldn't be restitution then. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, you could mail the restaurant owner the money for the meals that you got anonymously if you if you felt right. But to to involve the waiter uh, in that, uh, I think is uh, mean. Yeah, because because the thing is, right, the waiter gets punished, but you don't. But you were complicit in this, right? Right. Right. So so that would be, I think, an unjust. Right. That's saying it's 100 percent the waiter's fault. OK, I'll pay a little bit of money, but he might lose his job or whatever. Right. Get no reference. And maybe his life goes kind of down the tubes away in a ways. Right. Right. But uh, I think that. Um, uh, uh, the only. Yeah. So, I mean, this and again, there's no particular right answer to this. Right. I mean, I don't think and this is not a big. Uh, a big uh, a UPB moral certainty situation because there's lots of gray in here as well, right? But um, uh, the the other thing too is that uh, uh, if you spent more money there than you got in comps, then the restaurant owner is still ahead, right? Yeah, that's what I also don't know is whether he's more, further ahead <laughs> because I'm I was a complete regular for a long time. Yeah, and I yeah, so I mean obviously he's uh, he's gotten some benefit from having you as as a repeat customer and uh, who knows, right? I, I mean I know that restaurants make a lot of money per meal, which is not to say that they're all printing money or anything. So right. so I don't know, but but for sure I would not make a decision about what to do about this for quite some time because what you need to do is you need to work through 
the feelings uh, and you know this is an important issue to work through not because anything egregious or nasty or whatever happened but just because there are some principles here that i think you still need to come over right which you because you, you're still not committed to rtr right because you're still giving yourself the out of just not saying stuff right yeah it's very hard to put into practice well it's actually impossible to put into practice if you're not committed to it right it's like it's like saying you know it's really yeah. hard to get healthy uh, it's really hard to uh, to get healthy uh, if I'm committed to not going to the gym and not eating well, it's like, well, yeah, right. <laughs> but but you you give yourself an excuse, right? Well, I've sort of I look for opportunities where I can, but I don't see them all, and I don't. It's it's not a commitment for you. Um, Honesty is not a commitment. And I, I, again, I say this with with affection and with no negative prejudice, but just empirically, right? But I want it to be. I don't. I don't understand why you want it to be. I'm not sure what that means. You want to want it. I, I'm meaning I've 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 been trying now you want me to so do cheap hard. Trick, don't I don't... You? I'm I'm ready. I'm warmed up. I'm ready to roll. I if I'm looking for every single opportunity where I can be courageous, where I can be honest in the moment, and I'm not catching them all. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, Nate, you are such an excellent wriggler. <laughs> <laughs> so now we've gone apparently so because I don't to, for ten months to oh every single opportunity right that's a bit of a false dichotomy right well I missed one big one for sure you mean uh, ten months worth that's pretty because you know I do this full time now right yeah okay so I'm sort of working FDR eight to twelve hours a day we got say, 280 to 300 days, right? Where, you know, minus, uh, say, 50% for whatever reason, I'm working on books or on other calls or whatever. So we've got um, maybe 100, 150 days. What's that, 12,000 hours? Um, so I'm not necessarily saying that all of those 12,000 hours should have been taken up with this problem, but it's somewhere between zero and 12,000, right? But you're kind of putting up a false dichotomy. Like, oh, so because you didn't RTR about this with me or with others or with your therapist for, for 10 months, right? And then you're saying, well, so I have to do it all the time? <laughs> well, but you've got to do it more than you've been doing if you're committed to it, right? Right. But, but that's not to say that during those 12,000 hours I was not RTRing. About other things? About about other things. Okay, well, we've got a lot of people in the chat room, and I'm just going to, you know, without prejudice, right, but it's hard for us to see ourselves. Uh, question to the people who are in the chat room. Uh, how many are there? 24. Uh, those of you who've uh, been in contact with Nate over the past 10 months, uh, what has your experience been of uh, core honesty, uh, RTR, vulnerability, statement of thoughts and feelings in the moment without jumping to conclusions? What's it, uh, what's it been like? Do, 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 do. Tell you I'm sorry. You know how love you One person. Uh... Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know we had a chicken icon. It's recusing uh, herself. Uh, someone says some defensiveness. And, and there, I'm not trying to sort of corner you or anything. It's just we can't often tell whether we're RTRing, right? Because because we kind of have to ask other people, right? It, did, did, is what I'm saying helpful? Did it make sense? Uh, was it useful? I mean, you hear me doing this all the time, right? Yeah, and I've been 
doing that. You have been asking people whether they have experienced what you have been doing as, as really honest and open and vulnerable and blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, after every conversation where I'm helping somebody, if I, I asked if it's been helpful. And, or... Well, no, but I'm, I'm not talking about you helping them. I'm talking about RTR from you to them about your stuff, right? Yeah, I don't think I have done that very much. Everyone at FDR wants to write an essay. I was just trying to get a summary. Well, someone says I can say that I think of one instance where I felt very happy for Nate's vulnerability with me, but I have noticed a lot of defensiveness in other areas. Someone else said I've not felt any vulnerability. Blah blah blah. Other one says I feel myself frustrated and a little confused by Nate. Uh, and again, this is not for a self-attack or anything like that. It's just that without that kind of uh, feedback, we, we don't know how we're coming across, right? Uh, someone else has similar experience to Greg. Someone else has said, I haven't really noticed a lot of emotional openness. Um, and again, this is not, right, this is just uh, if you are going to make statements, which I think is perfectly valid, to say, I have been doing X in my relationships, uh, then it's important to know whether that's actually has uh, whether that has actually occurred for for others right if that makes sense yeah, yeah like if sense. i say my customers are satisfied at some point it is incumbent upon me to ask my customers whether they're satisfied right right and the fact i mean sorry and the fact that you say i have been RTRing on other issues and other people have not really experienced that very much means that you're not doing that quite uh, uh, it's not it's not working in the way that I think you think it's working if that makes sense huh. and this again this is not a criticism thing right just you understand I mean, this is not good or bad right it's just that. Well, I'm feeling Sorry, quite frustrated because Because it is my perception that I have been. Yes, but have you asked? No. Right. So you see here, there's a little bit of an avoidance because you know how hard RTR is, right? And so if you're <laughs> yeah. RTRing with people and you don't Too ask easy. I'd be doing succeeded, it all the time. then that's not very helpful, right? Right. So, uh, I, I mean, to, to use a crude metaphor, right? I mean, if you have a girlfriend, uh, you know, and it takes, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, 16 sets of Benoit balls and some <laughs> mechanical device like a piston to bring her to orgasm, and it's really tough, and it takes a long time, and you've got to, I don't know, spill chicken entrails and pray to Zeus, then at some point, it actually is worthwhile asking if she actually had an orgasm, right? Other than saying, sure. no, 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 uh, she's been having orgasms, right? Because you know it's hard, and you know at some point it's useful to ask, right? Yeah. Right, so if you're, not, if you're not asking, it's because you don't think that, that it's working, right? Because you, you know, when we don't want feedback, it's because we know the worst, right, so to speak, right? Or at least the... We're sort of, I'm, at least that I'm, at least in my experience, it's sort of afraid that, that any effort I've been putting into it has, has not been enough. And that, 
because I, I feel kind of overwhelmed right now. Sure. And I, I totally get overwhelmed and frustrated absolutely and completely and totally. I totally understand that. It's like when I used to work on software and I'd put a feature in that I thought the customer wanted. And the customer would say, well, I didn't want that feature. And by the way, you didn't do this feature properly. I'd be really frustrated. Why? Because I hadn't asked the client whether they wanted that feature or not. I just preferred to work on it because it was more fun or whatever, right? But it's so important to remember that RTR is not a fire hose. RTR is a game of tennis, right? RTR is honesty and curiosity, right? Everybody wants to do the honesty, uh, in their own mind, but they don't want to do the curiosity to find out if the honesty actually worked or, or was perceived as or accepted as, as true, right? RTR is not you to others, right? RTR is mutuality, right? Honesty about your own feelings and curiosity about the other person's experience of you, right? Right. So whenever somebody says, oh yes, I was RTRing or I have been RTRing or whatever, and they don't say, and I checked with the other person and they did experience it that way and, and they sort of gave me some pointers here. Then I just know it's not the case, right? It's, you, can't, well, you can't say I, whether you're being really open and honest. Because, and, and I can't either, right? I rely on Christina. I rely on listeners. I rely on others, right, to, to tell me. Because I can feel that it's true, right? But if the other person doesn't experience it as true then that's a disconnect that's really worth exploring, right? It's just been a lot like um a lot less like tennis for me and a lot more like juggling. Like um putting some of these things into practice like uh, a long a uh, few months back, I can't remember, 6 months maybe, you had suggested that I begin asking people when when I tell them what my experience is, to begin asking what their experience was, like if I say, when you said this, I felt this, what was your experience? And I, I've been getting better and better at implementing that. And it's like throwing another ball into this, this juggling thing till – and it feels like juggling until it becomes second nature. But Yes, because you're looking at it like it's a technique or a skill, right? It kind of yeah, is because no, no. I'm, I'm learning. RTR is not hard. Why does it feel no, no, no. Hard? RTR is scary. RTR is not hard. RTR is like skydiving. Is it hard to jump out of a plane? No, it's scary. Yeah, it's bloody easy, right? In fact, if you, as I know, when I went skydiving, you can almost do it accidentally too soon if you don't pay attention, right? So it's, it's actually very easy. It's, it's hard to be a gymnast, right? I mean, I, I'm aware of that. It's easy to jump out of a plane. I don't mean it's easy to be an expert skydiver, but, you know, your first time when you've got a rope tied to you and the chute opens automatically and it's like jumping out of a plane is easy, right? It's scarier than skydiving. Yeah, it is scary. Because, you know, if, I, if I say something about how I feel, then, then the worst thing that could happen. And what is the worst thing? Is that, that, oh dear, now I have to manage his feelings. And of course, that's where I ask him about their experience. But then say, I, I feel, you know, just like, oh no, his feelings. you feel like you have to manage someone else's feelings. Huh? Wait, I missed the first part. <laughs> what does RTR, if you, if you feel like you need to manage somebody else's feelings, what does RTR suggest? 
Did I say I feel like I have to manage somebody else? I feel like I have to manage your feelings. I'm not saying I do, and of course I don't, but this is my strong feeling, and it occurred when you said this. Uh, what is your experience of that? No, no, no. I'm talking about in reverse. Like if I say I felt this when you said that, that then I feel like I'm I'm putting upon them the task of 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 having to <laughs> work out this this invest their time into working out this issue. And I think the first thought that comes to my head is that I'm not worth that time. Right. And so what does RTR suggest that you do in that situation? What do you say? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, to say that I, I feel like I want to say what I felt when you said this, but I'm not sure if it's worth your... If I, I, I feel like I'm not worth your time. Right. Is that... And then you talk about more about what you feel and you I right? because if you can't get that level of openness in your communication with people, you can't ever help each other or communicate with each other really about anything because everything becomes management. Right. And management is tough. Managing other people is tough. Right. What you did with this gay guy for 10 months, that to me is hard work. Now, I agree. I agree. It's not scary because it's a kind of anxiety avoidance. Right. But uh, that to me is a hell of a lot of hard work compared to. You know, just sort of biting the bullet, stepping out of the plane and being relentlessly honest about your experience and curious about other people. It certainly um, tells me who they are and and it, it brings things to a, uh, a nice close. Yeah. And, you know, I tell you, this is the thing, Nate, and this is to everyone, because I know that RTR is we, we totally have to go back to it because I know it's really tough for people because we won't just do it. I mean, we know it's like I think it, I speak it. Right. I mean, uh, not as a conclusion, but as a thought. Right. That's that's honesty. Right. Um, and, and people, we all give ourselves lots of outs. Right. And the outs, we saw it so hard and so on. Right. But but here's the thing, Nate and and everyone, the idea that if we don't speak it, it doesn't exist in the conversation, is a complete, utter, and total fantasy. It has more power if we don't speak it than if we do. Speaking it means that it loses its negative power. We think, oh, we have this magical thinking, like, if a house is, is burning and, and we don't say a house is burning, that the house is not burning. But if we don't say the house is burning and do something about it, the house actually does burn down, right? Right. Right, if I don't inform... Yeah, if you don't say, well, I don't want to bring this up and, uh, and I feel like I'm not worth your time and I'm feeling kind of insecure about this whole thing, how are you feeling? We think that if we just blow past that or brush past that, that it's somehow not part of the conversation, but it just means it takes over the conversation. Yeah, the, the first thing I think of is, is eye-rolling, if I say something like that. Right, right, so then you I don't say I'm it. I'm going to get eye-rolling. So you don't say it, right? But of course, the eye-rolling is yours, right? Not the other person's. That's right. just projection, right? Because you obviously experienced eye rolling as a kid and right, an interest and so on, right? Yeah. So that's just projection. 
And that just lets the past win over the future and the present, right? And it's magic thinking. So do you think that if we don't voice it, it has no effect on the conversation? It, it has the most profound, dominating, and frankly destructive effect on the conversation, whatever we don't speak, whatever we think but don't speak. I kind of worry that, that after having this conversation with you that I've, I've lost 10 months and now I'm back 10 months again. Good. I'm sorry, but good. I'm glad that you think that. But that's not good. It's not good. Of course that it's not I've good. wasted 10 of months. Of course it's not good. And so now the question is, do you want to lose another 10 months or not? I'm just tired of losing time. No, you're not tired of losing time, Nate. Because if you were tired of losing time, you wouldn't have lost time. When you're truly tired of losing time, you'll stop losing time. And you'll just be honest, right? But I didn't think I was losing time. How do I know when I'm losing time until after I've lost time? Well, that's an essential question. And uh, if you were relatively new to the conversation, I would give you a lot more latitude about that, right? But if you were thinking about all of this stuff to do with this fellow or whatever, and you weren't talking about it with people, and you weren't talking about it with your therapist, then you made the choice to avoid, right? And if you didn't RTR with yourself, right, and say, well, that's interesting. I'm thinking about this restaurant guy, but I'm not bringing it up with my therapist. I wonder why. Right? If you, if you, if you don't ask that question, then you don't have the option to process it, right? And it's not like you've lost 10 months. I mean, as you say, you've been working, you've been in therapy, you've been working on other things, you've been uh, journaling, you've been writing. I mean, it's not 10 months lost, right? It's just that fundamentally, this kind of honesty, this kind of the RTR stuff that, that you know, we've been, I've been droning on about for, for, I guess, a year and a half or maybe closer to two years now. You're either going to do it or you're not, right? There's, no, there's not a lot of... You either have this commitment, right? You either have this commitment to be honest with yourself and, and therefore with others, right? The honesty to others, of course, belongs, begins with honesty to the self, with the self, in the same way that lying to others begins with lying to the self, right? If you don't have that commitment for honesty, if you don't set that time aside... If you don't have that commitment to honesty, then, in my opinion, uh, time will fly by. I mean, in our inexorable drop into the deepest grave, we can't ever slow our descent, right? And time will fly by. And, yeah, I mean, if you've had 10 months of only thinking you're being honest without asking people whether you're being honest and of avoiding some basic topics out of shame or anxiety management and so on. And this is with all due recognition to the amazing progress that you've made when you've given up drugs and, uh, you know, these uh, pretty substandard women that you were involved with and so on. So this is with all due respect 
to the amazing progress that you've made, right? The, the wonderful progress that you've made. And this is more to everyone than to you, right? But when it comes to this kind of uh, commitment to honesty, there's not a lot of middle ground, right? We're either going to be honest or we're not going to be honest. We're either going to commit to that kind of communication of our experience and curiosity about other people or not. And whether you commit to it or you don't, time moves on anyway. And if you find out a year from now that you missed being honest for a year and you've lost a year, that year doesn't come back, right? And that's fine. We can look back and say, well, gee, I should have done this or that, right? And we all have those, those thoughts and feelings and they're healthy. But the question is not about the past, but about the future, right? Which is, Nate, do you want to go into 2010 having the same conversation and 2012 and 2015 and 2030 having the same conversation, right? And then when it's 2031 and you're too old to have a family, right? Do you then want to say, now I commit to this kind of honesty? I still feel frustrated. Sure. And frustration, I guarantee you, is a Simon the Boxer for you, right? Oh, oh right? yeah. You are really into being frustrated. And as a guy who has a very similar kind of history and similar kinds of problems in this area, I can completely and totally empathize, right? I'm frustrated with how do I know when I'm being as honest as possible? What if I'm not being honest? Hey, don't give me these false dichotomies. As honest as possible. Okay, because you weren't even being, I mean, in this, right, you were avoiding this with everyone, right? This wasn't like, oh my God, I got to 99% honesty, but what if it's 99.5% honesty, right? You were actually avoiding, right? You were like minus honesty in this area, right? And this is also around trusting others, right? If you feel that you don't know whether you're being honest with someone, what can you do? Ask. Yeah. Does this strike you as honest? Do, do, do you feel... Because trust, everybody's a genius and everyone's a philosopher. Everyone is a genius and everyone is a philosopher. Everyone knows everything. Now, that doesn't mean they will be honest with you about everything, for sure. I mean, then maybe not, right? But you will know if they're not being honest with you. Trust yourself. Trust the instincts of others. Get feedback. Lean on each other. And don't withdraw when a difficult or painful topic comes up, but communicate clearly about how scary it is. No one will ever be bored by your authentic experience. Right? Because we say, oh, I don't want to share this thought or this feeling because it's, it's not interesting to people. And then we avoid and we distance ourselves. And then guess what? We aren't interesting to people. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? But nobody will ever be bored by your genuine and honest and heartfelt experience. And it is the easiest thing in the world to talk about, except for the fear.
except for the fear. Right. Except for the terrifying. <laughs> right, and what we do overwhelming fear. Yeah, absolutely, I completely agree with you. The fear can be can feel debilitating, and so, what do we do? I feel debilitated by fear. I want to be honest, and I am. Um, I just I peed myself like the third time in ten minutes. Actually, that's just me talking. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Sorry, but but we just are honest about our fear. And if the fear is overwhelming, and we can't be honest in that moment, what do we say? Fear, fear is overwhelming and I can't be honest in the moment. Right. So let me try and work through this and uh, I will get back to you. But I'm not going to insult either of our integrity by pretending to have a conversation when I'm not being honest. Right. Heavy. And we practice here for our personal relationships, right? Yeah, it's just not very easy. I mean, certainly in therapy, there's there's that, but I'm not on the. There, the people here are on a different page than my therapist. Than my, in, there's, there's, there's frustration with with being online and not being able to see the person or, um, or um, hear them sometimes or, or. So, if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that the greatest and freest communications technology that the world has ever seen is an impediment to relationships. The sound of, fact yeah. that you and I can talk like this and tens of thousands of people can listen for free is a barrier to truth and honesty and authenticity and openness. Because there's no alternative, right? There's no alternative called we all go live in an ashram, right? So the conversation that you and I are having, are having an FDR and Skype and IMing and, and voice over IP and all this kind of stuff, this has made these conversations possible. I don't think it can be called an impediment because it would be impossible otherwise, right? It's like saying, well, I'm dying of thirst in the desert and the bottle of water I find is not the brand I like and therefore that's a problem. Compared to what, right? Online relationships are imperfect compared to what? Compared to us all living in an ashram? Well, that's not going to happen, right? And even if it did happen, which it's not, it would still be because of these conversations, which have occurred online, right? Right. What's an ashram? Uh, it's uh, An ashram is uh, uh, like a bunch of teepees freaky guru guys set up in India for 
misguided people who think that Eastern philosophy is, well, philosophy. Right. Right. It is an amazing opportunity that you have to communicate with people honestly through free technology that did not exist until a couple of years ago, right? Well, if I could ask everyone this, not just you, but of why aren't we having, um, I mean, of course you're busy with the baby, but I'm just everybody. Um, why aren't we having more, more conversations? Well, instead of asking people that, and certainly you can, my suggestion would be that in the free market, people's time, if you put forward enough honesty and authenticity, those conversations will start to happen, right? Right, right. Right, I mean, if you've been sort of not present and not honest, and this is an extreme way of putting it, and I'm trying to, you know, but if you've less than present and less than honest for 10 months, and then say, well, why aren't we having more conversations? Well, again, this would be, for you at least, somewhat of what you're doing, right? Right, I'm putting the burden on everyone right. else. What you want to do is be uh, engaging and open and honest and helpful enough a person that those conversations happen, right? In the same way that Sundays at 4 p.m. conversations happen, right? Yeah. And make, you know, my, my suggestion is make the commitment now for this kind of honesty because another year can go by and another year can go by and another year can go by. And you're still fussing around the edges of commitment, right? Which puts you in the null zone, right? Because what happens is you neither end up having fabulous gay sex nor with a, uh, a quality woman to settle down with, right? right? This puts you in the null zone, right? And this is the cause, not the consequence of your loneliness, right? Yeah, I'm causing it. Yeah. Thanks. I I can hopefully take another leap forward. Well, that's, from here. That's why you wanted to talk to me, right? Because you were feeling disconnected right. and you were feeling like you weren't making progress, at least as far as this stuff goes, right? Exactly. Was I helpful? I mean, annoying, of course. It's always oh, very. You, you were very helpful. And, uh, I, and I'm always trying to, to make sure that uh, what I say does not put people in, into any kind of shame spiral or self-attack. Was I uh, putting in the right amount of, of honest and positive feedback about uh, uh, my respect for, for what it is that you've done? Yes, I, I think so. Because I, I do feel like I've, I've done a lot and I... And my tendency is to go to into a shame spiral if, and I guess of course the solution to that from now on is to uh, ask, you know, what am I being? 
honest enough. I'm not enough, but yeah, or or you know, what is your experience, right? Of and so and what was your experience of this of this conversation um, from 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 my side? Or I guess what was your your experience of this of this conversation? It was scary, but helpful. Very helpful and scary, and I feel just sort of overwhelmed at the moment. But it's not because you weren't weren't helpful. And I hope, I hope, I hope that you get that. I say this because I want you to get what you want. I want you to have the the love and the security that you want in your life, right? Yeah. The family, the kids, if you want them, the love of your life. I want to work very hard, if at all possible, to create the conditions for you to meet and keep the love of your life and to be the love of someone else's. That would be wonderful. Because this is something that's that's hard for people to to grasp. I don't mean for you or whatever, right? But I know that uh, people have lots of they have these questions. You know, why does Steph do this? Why why did he? You know, and people, of course, you know, they come up with all this nonsense, right? Like he wants power over people, right? Because <laughs> nothing spells power like podcaster, right? Or um, or he's doing it for the money, you know, and that kind of stuff, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I like the donations and. If you haven't donated in a while, please do. Not you, but others, right? But um, uh, the, the, the answer that, that is true for me, which is that I really, really, really want to share some of the paths to happiness that have really worked for me, uh, for myself, for Christina, for other people, that I really want to help people to achieve happiness. Because once you have achieved a real happiness in your life that is sustainable, that is warm, that is positive, that is joyful, to me... It would be cold and cruel and almost malicious to not do everything you could to try and bring that to as many people as possible. And the idea that I want people to be happy, that I really do care about you, Nate, and, and other people on the call and other people, I really care about your happiness, is something that people really can't, they can't, it's like, why did, it's got to be a cult, right? oh, it's got to be power, it's got to be money, it's got to be, you know, whatever, right? It, it can't be that Steph and his wife really want to share the happiness that, that we worked hard to achieve and, and have achieved and, and maintained, that we, that I want you, Nay, to be happy, I want other people on this call and whoever's listening to this, I want you to be happy because life is short and what a beautiful thing it is to be happy and and for for I can't say with just to make if this makes you feel even better that that like I was saying, telling you in the chat the other day I, I you know I I feel just overall an an extraordinarily extensive just massive amount happier than i've ever been in my entire life mm. i i never imagined this degree of consistent um happiness and 
I mean, just to the degree to where I feel relaxed, I'm so relaxed that you know all the neck tension that I've had is is like isn't isn't a problem anymore, and and um, there's just so much more of an internal world to myself, and and I'm able to to communicate better with other people to what degree you know. Given, given, you know, I, I could definitely be a whole lot more honest, but um, even, even then, to the de degree that I am happier is just is it, it's it's gigantic. And I, I'm, I mean, that just completely thrills and moves me beyond words, Nate. I mean, that is that's the payoff, right? I mean, that is why we do this work. Right? That is why we work so hard. That is why we confront ourselves. That is why we confront our dark sides. That is why we pursue self-knowledge. That is why we go into therapy. That is why we go through this radioactive fear state of real honesty, right? Because on the other side is simplicity and clarity and self-regard and love. And, uh, of course, that's, that's what sustains me in this highly challenging conversation, right? I think the biggest, deepest, meanest, toughest, roughest, and uh, most affectionate philosophy conversation the world's ever had, that's what sustains me, is that simple, irrefutable, and irrevocable fact that reason equals virtue equals happiness, and that it works. It's worked for me, it's worked for Christina, it'll work for Isabella until she sues us for making her socially completely ostracized for the rest of time. Or until she Googles my name in the word cult. Um, but uh, it works. It works. Self-knowledge, wisdom, integrity, virtue, courage, honesty, openness, vulnerability. They just work. And we have lots of theories to why, and we have lots of practical examples as to how, and lots of testimonials as to its achievement. And I want that for people. I want so much for people to experience joy in their lives. Because life has no meaning, and therefore, since it has no meaning, we're not going to heaven. Dying for your country will not get you 22 virgins. Because there is no meaning to life, the only goal that we can have is virtuous and sustainable happiness. And that's what I want for the world. That's what I want for Isabella. That's the world that I want Isabella to grow up in is a world of greater virtue and integrity and happiness and honesty. Yeah, I grew up thinking that I can only be happy when I die. Right. Which is really a sad way to look at the way Christianity is, but I mean that that is that is the truth about growing up in a religious family. Yes, it is the truth. But now I can have it in real life. I can have it in, in reality. And it's not just a fantasy thing. It's not like um, Dennis Leary <laughs> proclaims to be the, the, the short five-minute bursts of an orgasm or a cigarette. Right. I wrote a poem, and I can't remember it too well, because I wrote this poem when I was like 20 or 22. Uh, and it was about a Muslim woman who was on her deathbed. And it was something like, uh, and as she slipped into the abyss, she saw no heavenly arms reaching for her, no 
congregations of past relatives surrounded her to welcome her. She slipped into a dead void, and her last thought was the mere regret of coldly discharged atoms. What a terrible thing it would be to live your life for death and at the end realize that there was no paradise and you had lost it all for the expectation of something that was never coming. That you had lived your life lashed to an abandoned train station staring down moss-strewn tracks in the expectation of a train that did not exist and would never come. And that is uh, the true tragedy of the religious mindset and the statist mindset, the irrational, the mystical mindset. That once you clear away the cobwebs and that rubble of the life of dreamy beauty that is to come and recognize that life and its joys are a field you have to clear with the sweat of your brow that no angels will come down to pillow your way into the future of bliss, that your happiness is a stony ground that you have to turn and plant and sow and reap yourself. And then we can stop dreaming of the salvation after death or with communion or union with the empty herd. But it can be a labor of our own shiny sweat to build our own happiness as a house that we have to build if we want to live there. Wow. Wow. And that's why time is important. The time is the is the essence of this, that the days that we lose in distraction and a lack of dedication, not to principles, but fundamentally to our own happiness, they're not getting tacked on at the end, right? No. And that's why I don't want you to... I mean, it's not like you lost 10 months, but I just... I don't want you to, to be in this situation in September or October. Because the commitment is not to RTR. The commitment is to joy. The commitment is to happiness. Right, and if I spend another 10 months in limbo with some problem that I can't resolve through through honesty or, or vulnerability, even if it's just with that person that I'm in limbo about, like if I if I had just gone and expressed my honest and vulnerable feelings or confusion to this guy, it might have, you know, reacted in, in some kind of hostility that ended the, what otherwise dragged on for 10 months. Yes, that's true. And I'll give you something that's uh, hopefully even more of an incentive. And we can just end with this if you like. Let's say that for whatever reason, you decide or don't decide or whatever, but you end up spending another ten, 10 months in this kind of limbo, right? And uh, it's not until October that you shake yourself out of it, right? Well, right. what if you actually meet the love of your life in March? 
or would have. That would suck. Well, you would have missed it, right? Like, love is not something that, that once we're together, once we're happy, once we're authentic, once we're honest, once we're uh, masters of our own souls, love doesn't just pop someone up like a geyser, right? There is no universal spirit that is checking our progress and hurting the love of our lives towards us, who will then meet us when we are ready. That's not how life works, right? That's um, that's kind of the reverse of what I was thinking. So what? Yeah, because what we think is, well, I've got all the time in the world to be ready for the love of my life, because when I am ready, she will show up. But that's not how it works, right? That's like saying, when I'm ready to win the lottery, I'll buy a lottery ticket. What if the right. one you I don't advocate the lottery, but just as a metaphor, right? What if the one that you bought in March was the winning one? but you just didn't play. So what if tomorrow you meet the woman who could be the love of your life? Are you ready? Have you been training? We don't have an Olympics that we know are three years away or two years or four years or one year. We don't know when we're going to be called to the stand to testify in the court of love. We don't know when we're going to have to run the greatest race towards the deepest love, right? So got to train got to hard. Train. Got to train to be ready for when that comes. Because you can't start training when it shows up. Because then it's too late. Right? It's like saying, well, <laughs> I have to run the Boston Marathon. Um, so I'll start training a couple of days beforehand, right? You've got to be ready if you want it. You've got to be in peak condition to be able to take advantage of it when love comes for you. Because you don't know when it's coming. Right? And that's the risk that we take when we're not committed to honesty and openness and vulnerability. But we're not practicing those skills and getting ready for love. That's the risk we take that the love of our life comes along and we're not ready. Christina didn't show up when I was ready, but thank God I was ready when she did. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be next month that you run across that woman or you see her in a bus or you talk to her in front of a movie theater. Are you going to be ready? But, but Stop fucking yeah. around and get ready. <laughs> right. Stop fucking around with bartenders who are gay and get ready for the one you want. Because you don't have the rest of your life to spend the inconsequential vanity propping foolish exercises like this, right? Because you don't know when you're going to trip over that woman or she's going to trip over you or that man. So be ready 
be proud, be honest, be open, have practiced your skills. Don't eat three pizzas and wander into the Boston Marathon. You just get mowed down, right? <laughs> it's not pretty. Right. Right. That's the urgency. That's why I say don't put it off. Because there won't be time to practice when love comes to town. You got to be ready. Yeah, I think I'll be um, stepping up my therapy. Yeah, but uh, stepping up your therapy, this is uh, that's great. But my suggestion would be to just step up your commitments. You know, stepping up your therapy is saying that I need to spend more money and more time with someone else who's going to, right? You know enough by now to step up your commitments to just be honest and open and vulnerable and keep asking for feedback. That much you know, right? Right. And whoever I interact with. Yeah, I mean, maybe not the grocery store clerk, but you know what I mean, right? Wherever the relationships right. are meaningful for you. Because if you have the love of your life comes into your life and you say, well, I have this issue, but I don't want to bring it up with her because I don't feel like I'm worth anything because of this, because it'll just fall apart in your hands, right? And yeah. you'll know that it's falling apart in your hands and it'll be too late to develop the habits of honesty, right? And that will torture you, not just now, but for the rest of your life. I'm not trying to put a curse on you, you understand, right? But... This is the stakes we're playing with, right? Scary. Right. Love is the involuntary response to virtue in my formulation. Honesty is the first virtue. So if you want someone to love you, you've got to be honest. You've got to practice those virtues called honesty, which we're all born with. Isabella is far more honest than anyone I'll ever meet, including me, right? We're all born with that honesty. But unfortunately for all too many of us, it's pounded and brutalized out of us. But we've got to regain that so that we can, when the, the, when the potential love of our life comes along, that she's actually going to love us because we're honest and virtuous. Love well, this has been amazing. Train for. Sorry? I'm just going to say this has been an amazing call. I don't want to take up all your time. No, that's great. And, and this is why, right. you know, I'm bugged that you didn't give me the opportunity to talk to you this year. <laughs> this last year. Right? Because, yeah, we have great calls, right? And the stuff that you bring up is hugely useful to others. Well, I will definitely make a commitment to doing that more then. <laughs> And, and then asking you if, if you enjoyed Beautiful. it. Okay, well, listen, thanks, Nate. I really do appreciate that. And just to remind you that uh, these are all tweaks on something that you've been doing a magnificent job on. Um, and, you know, getting the bronze doesn't mean that <laughs> doesn't mean that it's, uh, it's, it's the gold minus two, right? It's also, you know, important to be how uh, recognize the progress and the, uh, 
the positivity that you've brought to what it is that you're doing and the amazing bullets, of course, that you've dodged as well, right, uh, uh, based on uh, your commitment to all this kind of stuff. So just that's the last thing I wanted to leave you with, right, that this is uh, going from, uh, you know, <laughs> bronze to silver. That's not the same as going from loser to winner, right? Right. All right. Yeah, I had no medals before. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thanks, uh, everybody, for a great call. And thanks again to uh, our, our two callers. Uh, and I really do appreciate the, the honesty and openness of, of these kinds of conversations. It's just fantastic. So have a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. Remember, if you haven't donated for a while, uh, January is always a bit of a, a scurvy-style month just because uh, of uh, uh, the post-Christmas uh, brokenness. But if you don't actually have a massive amount of post-Christmas brokenness, a few bucks would certainly not go amiss. So thank you, everyone, again so much. Have yourselves a wonderful week, and uh, thank you, everybody, so much for making this such a wonderful show and a wonderful environment to be a part of. Uh, I think that you're all just fantastic, and I'm completely honored to know you. <laughs>